Hey everybody, this is Miss Georgia USA 2006, Lisa Wilson, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey everybody, welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you useful interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, lifestyle entrepreneur, pageant host, author, and quite honestly, somebody who just wants to help you become a better person overall. Now, if pageant life is over for you, or it soon could be, and you're wondering, well, what do I do now, or what's next? This podcast is designed to help make the transition to real life and the school of hard knocks a little bit easier for you to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us today. Let's get started. My guest today was Miss Georgia USA 2006 and second runner-up at Miss USA. Since then, she's established herself as a successful model, actress, and host. She worked on over 350 photo shoots hosted more than 500 on-camera projects, and starred in over 100 commercials, and has had TV and film appearances on Necessary Roughness, Drop Dead Diva, Tyler Perry's For Better or For Worse, and Logan Lucky. She was also a semifinalist on season three of American Idol, and she's also been a good friend of mine for the last six years, and believe it or not, she is actually the reason that I'm currently involved in the pageant world. So, Lisa Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Yeah, yeah. So, I, let me give everybody a little background on, on how this uh, came about. Uh, you and I had been friends before in the TV hosting industry, and you, obviously being a former uh, pageant title holder, were a judge for one of the production companies in the South, and one afternoon... I was. You called me and said, hey... They're looking for somebody. Well, I had been um, chatting with the guys who head up the organization, the RPM organization, and they knew that they were looking for a change. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have the perfect guy. He's the (laughs) absolute professional. And, you know, it's like you need someone who's quick on their feet. And so you were the first person that was top of mind. And I I was sold you. (laughs) You should have seen the campaigning I was doing for you behind the scenes. (laughs) Wow, it's super sweet. And then, well, you're amazing at what you do. And there was nobody else that I could really think of that would be better with a live audience. And also being caring and concerned about the people who are walking across that stage because it is so nerve wracking. It definitely is. And so, look, I got to give you credit. I mean, the reason this podcast exists really goes back to that very central thing that you introduced me to. So not only thank you to you, but, you know, everybody else should be thanking you that this exists now because of you. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, let's uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you. That's why we're here. (laughs) So, you know, you were Miss Georgia USA 2006. You get into the top five, your second runner up. So where do you take things from there? I mean, you, you get so close to, I think, what many perceive as the ultimate goal, but then you find out there's this big life after it. How did you evolve after Miss Georgia USA and and Miss USA? Oh, gosh, there were so many steps. (laughs) And it goes back to what I was doing before I was a title holder. You know, I wasn't a traditional pageant girl. I didn't go into my whole life thinking I wanted to be Miss USA. I wasn't dreaming of it like so many of the girls that do compete for that. I was a tomboy. I actually wanted to be a boy when I was a kid. So there was no part of me that was like, give me a tiara. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I, I wanted to be in television. That was the thing that really lit me on fire. And so when I was in high school, I had this really unique opportunity to dual enroll in a trade school that offered a radio and television program 
alongside my regular school. So I would go to class in the morning at my high school and then I would hop on a school bus and they would cart us over to the trade school and we would get to spend the second half of our day in a trade class of our choosing. And of course, I chose radio and television broadcasting. And so for two years of my life, before even getting out of high school, I was already exposed to this environment. I had worked in production. I had worked as a radio DJ because part of that, my junior year, I landed a job as a, as a DJ for a radio station where I'm like, you know, gift of gab. So I just got to talk all the time. It was like the <laughs> perfect solution for me. So... <laughs> I moved out of that position and then my senior year, I was working for Comcast, our local Comcast station in my hometown, and I was working the production aspect of it. So I was going out in the field with some of the reporters and helping them gather the content for the stories. And then I was helping to produce the news show um, at at the end of the night, and I was running the teleprompter, loading the prompter, pretty much anything that needed to be done the grunt work, I did it. So I got a firsthand introduction to production and everything that was exciting to me um, before I even graduated high school. So then I got out of school and I started really diving heavily into modeling and it took me all over the place, but it also afforded me opportunities to be back in front of the camera and on a modeling job in South Carolina, I met the director of the South Carolina pageant. Nice. And um, she gave me her card. It all comes come full circle. And she said that she thought I would be a great fit for the Miss Georgia USA program. And I just kept pushing it off and pushing it off. And about this time, I landed myself on American Idol. And so that contract was ironclad. And it did not allow me to do anything. So they were calling and calling. But American Idol had locked me down for a solid year and a half, which put me out of competition for Miss Georgia USA for two years. So by the time that my last opportunity was coming to compete, I was approaching my 25th birthday. Um, they, they called me from the Miss Georgia office and said, okay, this is it, your last chance. Are you in or are you out? <laughs> the conversation. And I said, well, you know, I, I guess I'll be in this time. I'm actually free. I'll do it. And so I went into it looking at it as an opportunity for growth. And even in the preliminary meetings, whenever we were preparing to go into the whole pageant situation, it was, it was fairly new for me because it was the biggest pageant I had done. Everything mm-hmm. before that had just been like a state fair pageant. <laughs> <laughs> Miss So-and-So uh, County. Miss So-and-So County. Yeah. So that was, that was life up to that point, just modeling and, and little fair pageants. So it was the biggest production that I had been a part of to date. And for me, it was just about gathering information. And my approach kept me from being nervous. It kept me from really stressing any of the details. I'm, I'm a queen of chatter. So I went into my interviews like a boss. I was like, hey, let's just have a conversation. And that's, that's exactly how I won the pageant. The judges told me afterwards, you were the only person who wasn't coming across the table trying to strangle us to death for that crown. And so it made me interesting. Um, So life after the pageant, it was different because I went through this whole year as Miss Georgia USA, and it was like the culmination of everything. You get to that pinnacle point. So I had done all this stuff in my career that had led up to making my mark on American Idol. I was a semifinalist there. So you do American Idol, you're on top of the world, on top of the world. Then you come down off of that, and then you do Miss Georgia. You win Miss Georgia, on top of the world, on top of the world. Second runner-up at Miss USA, back on top of the world. Everything is roses until the day you give up your crown. And then cricket. So you're in this space of 
life is so exciting. I'm untouchable. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm going to make all of my dreams come true. And then you come to a screeching halt. So you have to really dig deep into what it is that you want the outcome of your life to be and start to focus more on that as opposed to the quick instantaneous gains that can come from winning a pageant. It's almost like a, a high from you know, taking a caffeine shot or <laughs> I assume drug addicts have whenever they take a drug. <laughs> it's, it's like a high and you stay on that high until you're abruptly <laughs> taken off of your phone and then you have to figure out the real nuts and bolts of life. So uh, yeah, that's a great point, and I think that's where a lot of girls get to is is the you know I think you mentioned it the crickets you know it's like I don't matter mm-hmm. anymore and you do matter, mm-hmm. but it's like what yeah. what at that point do you think not only maybe did you need but what what do all pageant contestants need at that point when it's over and they're just kind of lost what would help them? Uh, it would tremendously help while you're in the pageant cycle while you have the crown to be thinking about what happens after the title after you give it up and somebody else is in that position, because that's only one short year of your life. It should never define your worth. It should never define who you are or even how you see yourself. It's just a moment in time that you were gifted because a particular panel chose you that day. If the pageant had been held another day with a different panel, Susie Q down the, down the row from you could have won the title and your life would have never had that experience. So, Preparation for life and um, focusing on um, developing skills that will be used in the workplace and really identifying what it is that you want to do with your life after and how you can use pageantry as a stepping stone. That's something a lot of people, I think, miss about pageants is it's not just a bunch of pretty girls parading around on a stage. They're really intelligent women who have big, lofty goals but most of the time, those goals are put aside because they're focusing on winning this USA. So if there was a development period throughout the course of being a title holder that helps them focus on what's going to happen in the aftermath and kind of like a cooling off period <laughs> so you, you know what to expect, I think that would be a lot more helpful for the girls that are coming through it now. So you're saying when you're done and you have that feeling of I don't matter anymore, you're, you're, you're in real trouble if you're at that point and you hadn't prepared for it. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's it's very easy to plunge into a, a, a bit of depression and wandering around lost and aimless because you've put all of your eggs in this basket and you're only living in the moment, which is important to live in the moment, being present where you are. But you also have to think, hey, this is going to come to an end. This is a fun ride. But it shouldn't define how I see myself. Well, and I think you have a really unique perspective because not only were you a state title holder and top five at Miss USA, but you were also, yeah, as you said, you were on American Idol. Now, this was back in the heyday mm-hmm. of American Idol. I looked <laughs> yes. up the Nielsen ratings for your year. It was 25 million people average per episode. I mean, so this was, this was one of the biggest yeah. reality shows of all time to this point. Uh, so uh-huh. when you go through that, You get on national Mm -hmm. television in front of tens of millions of people. Then you get on national television again in front of millions of people in two different areas in which many of these girls think these are the tickets. And then you find out that that ticket is fake. Where's your mind and what do you do? (laughs) I know, I know. Um, You know, it's not that the ticket is fake. It's just that you have to approach it for what it is and allow it to be a vehicle that opens up more doors for the tickets that will take you to the bigger prizes or your bigger goals. American Idol in and of itself is a platform that puts you on a national stage 
you get instant recognition. I kid you not, there was nowhere in the country that I could go without being recognized. And it was overwhelming because it happens overnight. So you go from being just a random anonymous person to being someone that everybody knows is terrifying. Um, and, And then you have to figure out from there what you're gonna do with this opportunity. So American Idol could be parlayed into my own web series. I could use it to build a business in some capacity. The same with being a title holder. You can use the recognition that you get to build on something. So it's not necessarily a fake ticket. It really is an open door to being visible. And ultimately, you have to be visible in order for people to subscribe what you're selling. Yeah, I probably used the wrong word there. Fake isn't right. It was more like... (laughs) (laughs) So American Idol, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But in terms of career makers, you're correct. It's not, they're not career makers unless you're at the very top on American Idol where they, they, you get a record deal and, you know, you get that whole deal. But those contracts are really rough. So it's not necessarily like the best ticket to get. Yeah, they lock you down big time, don't they? Big time. Yes, absolutely. So I think what you mentioned there at the end of what you were talking about was really interesting is that how do you take the platforms that you were giving and I guess in many ways monetize them? Everything from, you know, do you do a web video series? Do you write a book? Do you create some sort of brand or blog? Um, How have you kind of utilized what you were given over the years to create success with what you do? Um, I wish I had had a better plan for that whenever I was going through American Idol and the whole Miss Georgia USA, Miss USA process. I always say if I'd had a solid management team that could have really supported me and guided me through that time, that I would be leaps and bounds beyond where I am now. Um, so for me, it was a little run and gun. I used the title of Miss Georgia USA with getting an agent in Atlanta. That was how... I first actually got signed on with an agency was I had that notoriety and they valued my position because I had a crown. So that was, that was really good. I was able to utilize it for that. But in terms of actually like parlaying that into a career and using the notoriety that I got, I didn't do that the way that I should have. If I knew then what I know now, I would have been so active on my blog. I would have had a web show. I would have found any kind of beauty tutorial or hair tutorial (laughs) that I could be throwing out there. Just creating content so that you're active and relevant in the eyes of your viewers so that they actually want to watch you and learn more about you. And then as you appear on these bigger stages, then people are more interested in what you're doing behind the scenes because then it gives them an opportunity to get to know the real you instead of the avatar of you that is put out there into the public eye. So American Idol, then Miss USA, then the feeling of I'm not sure if I matter or not. And I know you've had a successful career in in on-camera work, TV hosting, modeling, acting. At what point did you kind of have that paradigm-shifting moment, if you will, that led to some new jobs happening and and a new career kind of unfolding before your eyes? Yeah, um, it was probably about a year after I gave up my title of Miss Georgia USA. I did spend that whole entire year afterwards just kind of rebelling against the system (laughs) because I had... I had been working out constantly. My diet was so restricted just in preparation for that level of competition. And so I just kind of fell off the wagon. I was like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm not going to work out. If a trainer even looks at me, I'm going to give him the side eye. You know, it was that kind of 
situation. You were done. I was so done. I just wanted to be able to like live freely and just enjoy being in the moment. And so I wasn't super focused on, um, on really like changing anything up until the point that I moved to Atlanta and I landed my agent. And it was after I got cast on a little short film called Bells. And um, then I was like, oh, man. I really love this acting thing. Really, really love it. Maybe I should try to pursue that. And that was, and then right after that, I got my agent. So that was the point when I started getting really serious about changing direction and finding a way to use all of the skills that I had up to that point to create something new and really better for where my life was going because I had been, I mean, let's be honest, I was riding on temporary highs. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to create, create something more lasting. And so that gave me the opportunity to, to start developing out a, a commercial career and being able to do voiceovers and get involved in TV and film, which has been so incredibly rewarding. I love my work. It's something that I'm so passionate about and grateful for every opportunity that's come my way. And, you know, just, having that positive outlook and the hustle and grind that goes into it uh, that, that you learn from being a pageant competitor, that has uh, really helped. Well, so let's talk a little bit about it on-camera work because, you know, that, that, that covers a wide spectrum of things that you can do. You know, <laughs> yes. We're talking about news anchoring, TV hosting, commercial acting, acting in general, industrials yeah. for companies like, you know, human resource departments and doing training videos, educational institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, you can do classes for online universities. So what was your mm-hmm. original goal when you thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some on-camera work? I mean, did you have like a particular avenue you wanted to travel? I did not. And honestly, I think that was part of my problem because I was just like, I just want to be in TV. And I feel like a long time ago, I should have gotten more specific because I have worked every single one of those categories that you mentioned. <laughs> I know <laughs> I mean, you have. You've it, been really good at it, too. Yeah, and it's, it's so fun, but it's also easy to get pigeonholed. And so now I'm, I'm known in Atlanta as the commercial girl and the host <laughs> girl. And so it's really difficult. I'm not kidding. It's a really difficult struggle to break outside of that box and be seen as anything else. So on the acting side, I definitely have a challenge. And I wish that I had set it up differently so that I could – have approached it from a perspective of I am good at all of these things, but not be so great at one area, like the hosting thing, <laughs> <laughs> that I that I get stuck into that box. I love it all, um, but if I had to choose one single one that I did for the rest of my life, it would it would be acting, and that's just after experiencing all sides of it. I do the most hosting out of all categories, but um, definitely wish I was more like a series regular on a TV show. Well, you mentioned something that I think people might find interesting. You live in Atlanta. You know, when we're talking about Mm -hmm. on-camera work and modeling and acting, most people think, oh, she's got to live in L.A. or New York. So how how have you achieved your success in a market that is not traditionally known for having a ton of jobs like that? Well, Atlanta has grown tremendously in the last 12 years since I've been here, and I'm rolling up on my 13th year anniversary in this city. And the production, when I first started, it was minimal. And really, truly, when I moved here, I was just looking for a big city to be in, not necessarily wanting to go to a place that was like Hollywood and it was super overwhelming and scary. I just wanted to go to some place to get my feet wet and then just see where it takes me. There was not really a purpose in the move other than just to get out of my hometown. And so um, I would say that it's really Atlanta. I don't know. Like it's one of those places where 
if you just insert yourself into the industry, like get online and Google some acting classes, you can really get connected quickly. And now we're actually one of the number one cities for production. And that goes across the board for commercials, industrials, and film and television. There's so many shows and movies that are shot here. It's crazy. It's like they call it Hollywood of the South, but you know, we're like our own little monster. So in the beginning, it was a little challenging. It was a little slow. You definitely have to have a side hustle. But now you can make a full-time living off the industry here. Well, you mentioned that after you were Miss Georgia USA, um, that that's how you found an agent. Um, So let's Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about that, because when you get into the world that you're in, there's basically two ways that you can go about it. You can market yourself. You can build a website, create a blog, things you talked about earlier. Or Uh you can kind of take the either hiring some sort of metropolitan agency or finding a true agent for, you know, whatever you're in, modeling, acting, uh, online, whatever. Which ways have you found to be successful or maybe have you found success with both? Both. Absolutely. And I think to truly be successful, you have to do both. An agent is kind of like a staffing agency. They have a lot of people on their roster. And as long as they get people that they represent booked on jobs, then they are serving their purpose. You as an individual and as an actor or a model or a host or whatever job you're choosing to pursue You have to be your own self-marketing machine because if you're not, then you're just going to get lost in the shuffle on this big roster. You've got to do things that will set yourself apart. You have to create additional marketing materials that will make people look at what the agency has as a tool to present as, hey, this person's done more. They have more to show for themselves. It pretty much makes your resume look larger. It makes you look like you're more professional and more capable whenever you're doing your own self-marketing as well as using an agent. Not to mention, when you're marketing yourself, you're able to find jobs that you don't have to pay an agency commission on. (laughs) That's amazing because we love keeping all of our money. So you you develop relationships with clients that reach out to you directly, and you're able to really benefit from being the cultivator of that relationship and and negotiate whatever rate or terms you want. And uh, it's just a winning, winning situation. Now, one thing that's really cool about the time (laughs) that we're in right now is social media has made it so that you can literally create an entire career off of Instagram. It's mind-blowing, but I don't know how long that's going to last, so it's not a path that I've necessarily chosen. I use it as a tool, but um, it's not my number one. So let me ask you about what you were just talking about with the agencies where you, you can self-market yourself and get out there and find jobs that they don't necessarily – you don't have to pay anybody for. Um, Uh I'll give you a personal situation that I ran into, and I don't know if you have the same thing down there. I worked for an agency in St. Louis, Missouri for a while, Uh and they did find me jobs here and there. It wasn't very often. And then um, I had a company approach me that was a a local car dealership in the market that was very wealthy, and they offered me $5,000 for basically 30 minutes to do this commercial. And I was like, well, of Uh course, I'll take it. And they ended up producing it. Uh, shot it, got it edited, got it on the air. The day it got on the air, I get a call from the agency and she says, "Um, I saw you were on a commercial. And I said, yeah. She said, "Uh, where's our cut? (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, excuse me? And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we had, a, we had a pretty frank discussion, and I said, well, if that's the way that you want to play the game, I said, then you can go ahead and rip up my contract because I'm done. And I, and I actually yeah. walked away from the agency. Is that how yours worked? Um, no, my agents have always been very awesome. They've been, they've been so cool and laid back about me taking jobs 
outside of the agency. Plus, I bring them clients on top of it. So sometimes I will run jobs through the agency just because I want them to negotiate the deal. If I don't feel comfortable negotiating it, then I will pass it through my agent and then they can take a commission off of it. But I'm, I am with you. If I had an agent come to me and say, hey, I saw that you did this thing, where's my cut? I, I would be like, bye, Felicia. We are not in business together anymore. Because, <laughs> I mean, the point of an agent, if you're a staffing agency, your, your point is to get me a job. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. And if you're not getting those jobs, then you're not owed a commission. And some, some agents are different, though. And I, I, I find that in smaller markets, they do that more often. I think it's probably because they don't have as much talent or as many jobs coming through. So they're looking to pull money from whatever they can. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Don't try to take money from the jobs that I find on my own. Yeah. Lesson to everybody listening. Don't let that happen to you. Well, let's talk a little yeah. bit about modeling. Um, we've talked about acting mm-hmm. and kind of the on-camera work. Now, uh, at the top of the show, we mentioned you've done over 350 photo shoots. And I think yeah, for, for many, <laughs> when, many, when I ask many pageant contestants what they want to do, that you know, the modeling is a big one that comes up, you know, and they they want to talk about having some sort of quote unquote career in modeling. And I think the perception when we say modeling is I want to be, you know, a Victoria's Secret model or I want to be, you know, yeah. whatever on the front of a catalog or whatever. But you've done 350 shoots, so define yeah. for everybody listening what exactly is success mean in the modeling world these days? Should be working. there's no other answer (laughs) i mean you you can you can look at modeling like oh i'm going to be a famous supermodel but just to be real and honest i've been in the business over 20 years and i worked as a model the entire time and i'm not a famous supermodel nor would i want to be because there is there's just so much pressure at that level i cannot i can't maintain a size zero my bone structure will not allow it. And if you gain a single pound or, or something's a little bit off, your agency will threaten to drop you or you have to lose X amount of pounds in order to stay on the roster. It's just, it's maddening. And being a successful model, when I say just to be working, it's amazing to be able to work as a model. And I think people really just don't understand that there are so many different categories that you can work in. Just like we were talking about with the on-camera stuff, you know, you have your industrials, you have commercials, you have TV, you have film. In modeling, there's like 12 different categories of models, different types of models, and they don't all require you to be seven feet tall and bulletproof. And so that's the beauty in it. But as far as making a long-term career, it's very difficult to do because you have to be willing to not work for like it can be 30, 60, 90 days that you're not working and then you get a booking and granted it can pay well, but the average job is not going to pay you enough to see you through that three or four months that Mm -hmm. you have downtime. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, you and I both know what it's like in the industry. You're also waiting 30, 60, 90 days for your checks to come. And then a lot of times you have to chase them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's a a full-time job. And to stay physically fit, ready to go, have your nails done. It's all the little details. You spend money on your photos. You pay the photographer the session fees. The agencies don't cover that. You pay to have your nails done. You pay to have your color done. You pay for your haircuts. You buy your clothes. Nobody's doing that for you. So the upfront expense is pretty tremendous. And the payout is not guaranteed. There's absolutely no guarantees in modeling. So when people say they want to have a career in modeling, I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to dash 
I'm not going to dash your dreams. I'm not going to try and rain on that parade because I understand the desire, but I also know the reality of it. And it's just not really something that's very viable. Well, you mentioned all those different categories in modeling, and there is one that, uh, from what I can tell, loves you, and that is uh, the mommy <laughs> the mommy market. Even though you're not a mom in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> they love to put you with babies, and you've had some big brands That's approach true. you yeah, that you do modeling for. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got a Graco ad that has run forever. It's, I think I we shot that one, I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago, and it's still running and you can find my face in target it's pretty crazy yeah i mean graco's pretty much <laughs> yeah. like the baby brand when it comes to car seats and cribs and things like that yes yeah yeah graco and bright starts i have done both of those the bright starts with the toys they have have really shown me a lot of love through the years and i'm i'm grateful to them and working with the kids is fun too so you know like you look on the boxes and you see this perfect little sleeping baby what people don't know <laughs> is that there's like five to seven babies that are in rotation oh and gosh. boy and girl babies are all dressed in the same onesie and if it's supposed to be a girl in whatever product then they put a bow in in the little boy's hair even if he's a, <laughs> 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 a girl i mean it's it's hilarious and the moms are always on hand because there's feeding schedules that you have to worry about, nap schedules that you have to worry about. And if a kid gets cranky, they're not going to, quote, unquote, perform the way that they're supposed to on set. And who can ask a baby to perform on set? You yeah, know? no kidding. No so kidding. it's a really interesting uh, place to be, a really interesting market. And one that I've had a lot of fun in. But I always laugh because I'm like, yes, I'm the aspirational mommy. I'm the one that they like put there that's not overly tired because I've not been up all night with my actual child. (laughs) You're like, look at me. I'm so happy. And it's because the real mom is waiting in the wings. (laughs) Well, do you remember the job that kind of ignited that market for you? I mean, do you remember where it started, uh, the whole mommy thing? Well, I remember a conversation that I was having with my agent whenever I was approaching my 30th birthday. And she was like, well, you're getting to that age where you'll probably start getting the castings for young mom. And that's such a great demographic to be in. And here I am looking at it. Oh, so you think I'm old? Great. This is awesome. So am I old now? (laughs) You're like, thanks a lot. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Um, But what I failed to realize is once you get in that 30-year-old range, that's actually where most of the money is as a model. Like you make the most money as a mommy model and as a commercial model than any other category. Like the fashion models that people are always looking at saying, oh, I want to walk to Victoria's Secret catwalk. Yeah, those girls get paid. But the normal people who are walking catwalks, like at the apparel market or wherever else, whatever random fashion show, they're lucky if they get paid anything. One of my best friends walked in New York Fashion Week and got paid $300. $300. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. And he had to pay his own airfare. So it's, that like, sounds oh about right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the industry. That's why I say it's not really viable for a career path. It's something that's fun to do and it can open doors, but I would just, I don't know, I would just caution people about getting into that as like their ultimate goal for a career. Now, one other you mentioned earlier, um, it's a section of the industry that you and I are both involved in that I don't think a lot of people think about, and that is voiceovers. Talk about how you got into Mm -hmm. that. I got into voiceover um, because a friend of mine was casting 
at a, um, a place called Listen Up Audiobooks. And she was like, hey, I'm, I think your voice would be great on this audiobook. And so that was what opened the door for me. I just started doing that. And then I was like, hey, I should just audition for a different voiceover job. Turns out my voice is pretty relaxing. So I get a lot of, a lot of novels. And then um, my biggest, biggest voiceover job that I booked it was for um, for Belk. I think it was Belk. It might have been room. No, it was Rooms to Go. Excuse me. It was for Rooms to Go. And I was in the studio for like 10 minutes. And it was one of those that paid, like better than most of my modeling jobs. And so <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing the wrong thing all along. I'm literally standing in a studio for 10 minutes in my pajamas. And I'm like bankrolling. So it's it's a it's a pretty lucrative side of the market. Yeah, I tell you what. Look for anybody listening. If you wonder where I do this, I'm sitting in my basement in a closet that I renovated yes. and put up some soundproofing <laughs> on the walls of the closet that used to have coats in it. And I bet you I've made twenty thousand dollars sitting in this booth in my pajamas at times doing voiceovers over over the time of my career. So. It, it is something yes. that can be very easy if you do get into it. So it's something, you know, if you haven't looked into it and you have a voice, I highly recommend it. So let's talk uh, again a, a little bit about your acting. I wanted to go into some of the things that we had mentioned at the top, which were the big shows that you have been on. Um, I think yeah. we mentioned like Drop Dead Diva, uh, Tyler Perry's For Better or Worse, Logan Lucky. I mean, these are very mm-hmm. recognizable shows in today's culture and society, so to speak. Yeah. Do you feel like doing those shows are, are a real stepping stone and an acting career that gets you to where you want to be? Or do you feel like maybe it takes you away from doing some of the lesser famous jobs that actually pay you money and, and allow you to live a, a daily life? Uh, you know, when you're in this industry, those jobs on the bigger TV shows and the films, that's what we live for. That is the ultimate prize. And yes, it's actually one of the best things that you can do to build your career. As an actor, you have to show that you're trustworthy and you show that you're trustworthy by being on sets and working with huge productions that have huge budgets and big time directors, big time producers and cast that's known worldwide. And so that's, that's how you do it. So yes, you rack up these day player credits, these co-stars, guest stars, you get as many of those as you can. Um, and then you use that to roll into bigger roles because at that point you're like, hey, I've been on... X number of episodes of this show. So it proves that you have what it takes and the stamina that it requires to endure the, the rough reality of what it's like to work on a TV show. Because you can work very long days. Um, you know, we only see short scenes on, on whatever show or film. It's all cut up into little scenes. But those days run. To get one single scene, you can be working on it for hours. And so people don't understand how much actual work goes into it. So give me an example. Uh, let's just take uh, Logan Lucky, for example. What was it like? Mm-hmm. Just give me a typical day on Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. Okay, so I was on set for two days for a single scene, just to put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. And in that particular scene, there were over 150 extras. So that entire situation had to be choreographed. And... Um, I was there with Channing Tatum, which I was very excited about. I was a little flushed. I was like, there he is. There he is. <laughs> He's like one of my celebrity crushes. So. It's Magic Mike. Okay. Yeah, and he was doing his little Magic Mike twirls. And I was like, oh, God, he better stop. He better stop. I'm going to turn into a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. So, you know, once you get past the whole, like, oh, my gosh, that's my crush, then you just continue doing the work. But, um 
there's a lot of a lot of listening. You have to be really focused on what the director is saying at all times because they they talk pretty quietly. And when you're dealing with a big room of people, things get lost. And so for me, it was two days, and I had I had to go through hair and makeup. So you get there early enough where they take you into wardrobe, they outfit you for your character, then you go into hair and makeup. You're in the trailer for an hour, two hours. It just depends on however long it takes them to get you ready. And then you go into holding and that can either be your trailer or into like a holding tent that's actually like on set. And it's more like you're on deck, you're waiting to go on. And then you just prepare for your scene. Um, in my particular case with Logan Lucky, I didn't have any lines originally. So that was directed by Steven Soderbergh. And <laughs> I was standing and holding, waiting, and I hear him screaming my name. And I was like, why is the director calling for me? I don't understand. <laughs> and he started scribbling on a little note card. He's like, give me some lines. We're going to put you here. And completely changed the dynamic of what it was going to be for me. So I had to be on the ready. And thank God I'm a prof- professional actor because otherwise I might have had a heart attack. You know, he's, he's a huge, huge director. And now I'm on, t- on a stage in front of, all of these people, I'm being handed lines on the spot. All the lights are on me. The gaffers are lighting everything. I have the, the sound guy coming up and miking me. And it was, it was pretty intense. So you just always have to be on the ready. And it requires a lot of energy to be that way. So at the end of the day, when you come down off of it, it's exhausting. You feel like you've had like 14 caffeine pills. And you get you close the door when you get home and you sit down and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't move. I'm so tired. It was such a rush, but totally worth it. And then when it comes out in theaters, that's the most rewarding thing. I actually got invited to go out and see the screening in L.A. So I flew out and was able to watch it with the cast and the crew, which is a really cool experience. Just so rewarding. Absolutely my favorite part of the industry. That's very cool. Well, you've had a lot of success in a lot of different areas, Lisa. I've watched you grow over so many years, and i got to tell you, I don't know many people in the industry like you, meaning that they don't do the true grunt work that's needed in order to succeed. I mean, there have been many challenges yeah. that I know you have faced in your career, and I have watched mm-hmm. you dig in deep and just you grunt it out and get through it and, and succeed in many ways. And so, you know, for those of you listening, I, I want to say this. If you want to follow somebody who knows how to just get it done, follow Lisa Wilson. It's it's, it's a pretty <laughs> fascinating experience to watch what she's done. She's so multi-talented. I mean, gosh, you've been on American Idol. You went to Miss USA. You do commercial acting, voiceovers, acting. I mean, the, the spectrum is just wide and, and vast. And so yeah. just huge respect for you. I just, I, I honestly mean that. Thank I just you. want you to know that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, especially coming from you. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge compliment. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I do appreciate you taking the time today. I, I know a lot of people have gotten a lot out of understanding this <laughs> side of the industry that, you know, while on the surface seems so glamorous, behind the scenes, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So thanks for sharing the advice. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Talk to you soon, Lisa. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Tim. That is today's episode. Thanks to Lisa Wilson for joining me. And thank you to you for listening to Life After the Crown. Now, if you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share it with your friends. Just tell them to go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And if you have any questions you'd like answered on one of our future shows or even a guest that you'd love to hear me interview, just email me at tim at timtialdo.com or you can Instagram message me at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of John 15, 13. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Until next time, have an awesome day, everybody. Everybody.